Hello listeners and welcome to the brand new Cloud Choice podcast. We've got a lot to come over the next few months. We're going to be covering everything cloud native. So starting with today, and this is, you know, it's a great moment. It's our first inaugural podcast on the state of the current market. We have a fantastic interview by the cloud native king himself, Mr. Matt Stein. I'm your host, Dan O'Reardon. I'm a cloud native architect um, working at Capgemini. I, I focus a lot in the financial services uh, industries. My co-host for this uh, season is here with me as well. Um, it is great to kick off and, and great to introduce the lovely Lisa Hirsch. Lisa, how are you doing? Well, hey Dan, thank you for that intro. So. My name's Lisa Hirsch. I'm out of New York City. I also am a cloud native architect with Capgemini. And uh, I'm just elated at the opportunity to spend some time with you today and tell you a little bit about our research, uh, about some news that we will cover out today, as well as uh, a, a great interview with Matt Stein, who some people say is the grandfather of cloud native, but we know he's very young at heart and actually a young guy in in person, right, Dan? Yeah, I, I think he's he, I think he's, he's he's definitely younger than than than, than me, Lisa. So I'm, I'm not sure about you, but he's definitely younger than me, you know. So um, yeah, th- that really is it's it's a great interview. So it's it's it's, it's worth a listen. So this week um, I'm in the lovely city of Utrecht. Um, and I'm working um, with one of the big banks up in Holland and I'm working on their cloud strategy. Really, really interesting. Um, you know, they, they're looking at cloud native. Um, you know, they're looking at aggressively moving to the cloud. They're looking at the way they do delivery pipelines. So it's a fantastic project to be involved in. You know, it's, a, it's a great privilege you know, to be involved in you know, what, what, a, what really is quite a traditional industry, you know, banking. Uh, and and the fact that you know they're looking to, to aggressively move to not just private cloud but also to, to public cloud. So so that's what I'm that's that's what's keeping me awake at night, Lisa. Well, it sounds like you're tiptoeing through the tulips over there in Holland. Is that correct? <laughs> very, oh, very good. That's it exactly. And what about what about you? What have you been up to this week, Lisa? Well, I just got back from India. Um, where you know went out and and had a. a some time with with our folks out in uh, in in Mumbai as well as in, in Bangalore, and we, you know, kind of went over cloud native, our, our migration factories we have out there, uh, as well as our cloud managed services where we have uh, our pass um, management uh, out in in India. So it was quite uh, an amazing trip, fast at that. But I'm back in the big city and uh, ready to go. Okay, so we, Lisa, shall we chat about what we're doing here today? Absolutely, Dan. Why don't you give them a great spin on what we're going to be talking about today? Okay, this is the great spin. So our, our new research shows that businesses are set to more than double the amount of cloud-native development they do by 2020, and that this will drive massive business disruption as the leaders outpace the laggers. In these series of Cloud Choice podcasts, we're going to be talking about why the cloud-native revolution is happening, what it all means, and what businesses can do about it. Lisa? Well, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, we've got some guests today, we've got news, We've got different topics to discuss with you about our research at Capgemini that's recently been published. And um, shall we kick off the day? I wanted to get the get your your uh, 
feedback and your thoughts about what seems to be top of the mind lately uh, or, or just recently with everyone, and that is that NHS attack. Uh, I, I read an article in The Telegraph uh, that was uh, written by Henry Buddock, and, and um, it's, it seemed to be very interesting about um, how intense it was, one, how it affected the world, and uh, how the, uh, you know, the, the hospitals came to, to bear with uh, this ransom attack. What's your, what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I was reading that as well. It was, yeah, basically the NHS bosses and the government, they faced some serious questions, you know, over why hospitals, you know, why they were left vulnerable to such a global a cyber attack. Um, that, that crippled the, their services, you know, but I do in a way I do sympathize with them because you know the, the world is changing so quickly um, Cloud migration is, is happening so quickly, but in, in, in one way I actually think um, cloud will probably help because probably a lot of these attacks happen um, through uh, human error um, You know through uh, maybe lack of funding to, to apply all of the security patches you know, so um, I mean, I think cloud. Even though a lot of people talk about cloud and, and the, the security challenges around cloud, um, I think it will actually help to prevent, probably in the future, these types of attacks. Yeah, you know, Dan, that's 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 funny. You should say that because I, I'm of the, the same uh, the same thought process. I mean, um, cloud, I think, will enable many to give give them the thought that. Um, we need to make a change. We need to make a change in our infrastructure. We need to update our legacy systems um, because, you know, in that article I read, you know, how some of the hospitals were working off of, you know, uh, uh, 2003 windows, which, you know, simply aren't supported yeah, anymore. Yeah, no, it's... it's, it's it's you know I mean it's 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 down to um, the, the amount of manpower and, and resources you know so um, there's another article I, I want to talk about if you've if you've actually read it uh, talking about how um, you know it was a, a report from IDC how global cloud IT infrastructure spend that is going to hit 2.6 billion in uh, 2016. Did you did you have a look at did you have a chance to look at that uh, that article? You know you know I did. And, and it's not surprising to me um, because uh, the service providers are, are growing at such leaps and bounds that the spend uh, is, 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 is really getting large in that construct, as well as uh, many of our, our, you know, the private cloud scenario for many is, is causing uh, a revamp of, of the servers of the databases, etc., cetera, uh, so that uh, they're suitable to handle uh, the new workloads and, and the new way of, uh, of cloud. It doesn't surprise me. Well, well, well maybe, um, you know, as I always call myself, I always call myself a plumber. So, so maybe I've been working in this industry so long um, and I've been working in cloud for the last, you know, 10 years. Um, so it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise me, but it does surprise me how some of the traditional some of the traditional uh, financial services industries, because I work in financial services quite a lot, how they're they're basically um, they're adopting to it and they're jumping onto yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Dan, did you did you get a chance? There's another article that I found to be quite interesting, and it really ties in uh, to our cloud native research, and that is uh, the article 
from uh, cloud, cloud computing uh, about CIOs are getting the cloud message. Poor CIOs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I mean the, role of, the role of the CIO is, is really changing. Um, I mean, traditionally, when, when, when I used to think of a CIO, I used to think of you know, the person responsible for, for keeping the lights, lights on on the, on, the, on the private data center for, for an organization. Um, but I think now the, the, the role of the CIO is changing and they're, they're, they're being looked at more as, as being you know, involved in the whole business strategy of, of an organization. So I think one of the challenges probably is how did the CIOs, you know, how did they reskill do they need to reskill? Um, has the profile of a CIO changed? You know, if I was running an organization, what do I look for in, in a new CIO? So, I mean, I think these are, you know, these are very, very interesting questions. So let's move on to, what are we gonna move on to? Well, I think what I'd like to, to try to delve into is, uh, you know, the topic of, uh, State of the market. Good point. Well, especially as this po- podcast is about state of the market, we should probably talk about it, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the state of the market? You know, talk to me a little bit about this this cloud native. Um, you know, uh, you know. Imagine I've I've just tuned into this podcast and it's the first time I, I've heard heard the term. Can you give a a simple simple description of it? I know sometimes you like to get technical, uh, Lisa, but is is there a kind of a simple um, statement I could say to my mother if she was listening in, in, into the podcast. No, no, and no offense to mothers out there, <laughs> but is, is there a simple explanation we could give? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, to me, the simplest way of placing it is that cloud native applications were born to live on the cloud. Well, I suppose if we look at the cloud, um, you, know, t- you, know, you know, traditionally public cloud is, is built on, on commodity hardware. Um, so I think, you know, the way applications were developed in the past um, some of the some of the parts in the architecture of an application were designed around specific hardware if we look at the way a database was designed you know be it running on oracle or, or db2 you know the hardware the infrastructure the way the applications were architected were specific to to, to that database functionality and with commodity hardware you know it's, it became necessary to maybe to re-architect the applications that would actually make use of that that you know that's infinite scalability that cloud offers, but also takes into account that because it's built on commodity hardware, you know you know different parts can break. So how do you build in that resiliency you know, into your architectures? So so that for me is is what cloud native is. Um, is it's it's really building, designing, architecting applications that run on commodity public cloud. That's a that's a great way of thinking about it, Dan. That's a great way of thinking about it. I mean, you know, um, we've been doing this, some enormous research within Capgemini, right? And 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 based on the survey um, that we've done, oh, it's over you know about nine hundred executives in eleven different countries. Um, we're showing right now that there's a small number of companies that are adopting cloud native applications, and um, that. Their, their mindset is definitely shifting in that direction uh, to develop uh, these, these applications and move from that monolithic uh, application um, way of life. So what's, what's your perspective on that? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've been looking through the report quite a bit recently, um, and only one-sixth, that's 15% of the respondents' uh, firms, 
um, that new applications, you know, so new applications um, are being built in, in a cloud native environment. But um, judging by the, their intentions, I think that uh, this figure will, will more than double to 32% in, in the next three years. And one of the key drivers for this is the desire to improve agility, and we talk about business agility, and also scalability, but also not forgetting to increase velocity, and therefore, you know, thereby reducing time to market. And I think that's one of the key, key uh, things about cloud native. Um, all businesses are looking for that extra edge over, their, 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 over the competition. And if you can introduce um, you know, small, medium and large change to, to, to the way your business operates, then you have a you know have a, a potential to 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 outbe um, you know to to be more competitive than 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 your competitors. So so is that one one of the key things? Well, yes, that that's uh, that's this week's news seems to be saying saying it quite well. Um, you know, I also think that leaders are registering tangible uh, gains from moving to cloud native. Um, the research also indicates that. Uh, they're developing, deploying applications faster than others and further ahead in monetizing their application pro program interfaces. Um, this impacts the bottom line, right? And eight out of 10, 84%, uh, say that they are increasing their revenue and, their oper uh, and reducing their operating costs as, as a result of this. Now, um, almost 83% say they're moving ahead of their peers in a financial form performance perspective by making that leap to a cloud native. Absolutely, and as we all know, Lisa, it's all about the bottom line, you know. So, um, but one of the things also this report talks about is the you know the skills and cultural change, and and what a big and a tough challenge that is. Um, you know, I was I was just kind of reading that you know. Between the the leg you know the legacy infrastructure and the, the vendor lock-in, you know these are obstacles. Um, but that the most formidable barriers they involve people and, and culture. And when asked to you know, to compare several types of challenges, skills emerge as the most significant. And this was cited by 70 percent of the executives. But also sometimes uh, cultural issues uh, followed closely behind. Um, also then followed by cost and technology issues. And the cost and technology issues, which would you, which would you, you would have imagined would have been a, you know, a more significant problem, you know, they were deemed to be um, of of a lesser difficulty. You know, I thought that was quite interesting. Well, you know, and and to that point, the cultural change. I mean, I I think that that really stems from going from a uh, a a waterfall type approach of. Of cloud native application development into a a DevOps world where where we're doing uh, very small iterations and utilizing uh, those microservices to stitch together applications very quickly, and that mindset culturally has not been been most you know adopted by many of the people that are so used to that waterfall approaches is that's my perspective from a cultural aspect yeah no i i, I see that quite a bit um, something else um, and I'd, I'd like to talk about as well is just to, to discuss you know how, how different industries and, and how they're at different levels um you know i think some of the retail and maybe some of the, t the telecommunication sectors 
you know they've probably uh, are more advanced in this cl cloud native uh, implementation um, I know financial services are beginning to look at it and, and, and beginning to approach it um, but it, it's interesting the way different industries and, and how they're at different levels um, and it's you know how we can you know help them to, to move move to you know um, a more advanced level in this. You, you know, I guess uh, to that point, we will certainly find out soon enough as statistics continue to roll in and we continue to track this, uh, you know, uh, on a month-to-month uh, -month and, and quarterly basis. Yeah, and this series of podcasts um, will we'll be, you know, we'll be, I mean, feeding back and, and, and letting our, our listeners know, um, you know, what's happening because this is, you know, all of this is changing really, really quickly. So, um, you know, any insights, any little nuggets, Lisa, you get, because I know you're you're there at the cold face. Um, if you can maybe feedback to the listeners, I mean, that would be great. No, absolutely. I think that's what this is all about: is is informing, and 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 providing information as, as quickly as possible as we go through this cloud journey and we make this uh, paradigm shift in how we do software development. So it's my great pleasure to introduce Principal Architect at Pivotal, Matt Stein. So Matt, he is a 17-year veteran of the enterprise IT industry. Eight of those years he spent as a consulting solutions architect for various Fortune 500 companies, as well as the not-for-profit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. He is the author of a fantastic book, uh, really it is, it is a must read, Migrating to Cloud Native Application Architectures from O'Reilly. And he's also the host of the Software Architecture Radio Podcast. You've, uh, your book, I mean, your book for me has been inspirational, uh, you know, migrating to cloud native application architectures, um, I, 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 I use it. But in it, you, 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 you've mentioned that this, this cloud native approach with the advent of the iPhone, which it's having its 10 year, year anniversary, and, and that, that was something that, that really made you know, businesses rethink how they actually develop their applications. C can you go into a little bit, a bit of detail on, on that, Matt? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I, I, I keep thinking that I can be done telling this story, but um, I keep uh, retelling it because it really, the more I watch what we're doing today and the more I compare it to what we were doing pre-2007, the more I realize that that was the inflection point in um, this whole business. And I think really what it boils down to is the ubiquitous access to computing. Before 2007, everybody was walking around with phones. Um, people made phone calls on phones. People, um, you know, the texting had not become quite the way of life that it is now, but um, it, 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 had, it had become normal. But nobody actually thought of the device that they had in their pocket or in their purse as a computer. Um, people thought of computers as devices that were large, heavyweight, sat on desks, even laptops were 10 years ago not terribly pleasant to, to, to carry around. And um, to say nothing of tablets, tablets were something that you saw on um, on Star Trek for the most part. We didn't we didn't really. Uh, although I, I recently rewatched two thousand one, and it's amazing how well they nailed the iPad uh, 
um, in that movie um, some, gosh, what is that, 50-some-odd years ago? So I'm, I don't know, remember exactly what year it came out, but it's been a long time. And um, so now we're walking around with more computing power um, on our person than uh, we sent astronauts to the moon with. And everybody has that. And Apple did something very interesting, which was to um, enable people to do that without thinking that they were using a computer. I mean, we've, we've made mobile devices that were very powerful um, for uh, quite some time, but you really needed to be you know, an expert level in technology to get anything out of them from a utility perspective. And now, you know, I, I watched, you know, my, my children were, were, you know, born and, and being born around this time. And I watched them before I ever taught them how to use one of these devices, quite happily using one of these devices and doing things sometimes that I didn't even know that you could do on it. So it's very intuitive, right? And so now there's these, this device that everybody... Um, now has, but was starting to be able to acquire, and it's really easy to use. And um, a few businesses noticed that, oh, this is an interesting new portal. This is a new interesting way that I can interact and do business with people. And um, people started, you know, as the app store became a real thing, um, and people figured out what we could actually do with that, um, creating these very um, customized, customer-centric um, channels to do very specific types of interactions that had been done differently um, up until that point usually required me to do business with um, some um, middle layer in the interaction. You know, um, I tell the story a lot of going to the bank to check your balance or making a phone call to check your balance or going to an ATM or logging into a website from a computer sitting on a desk. And now you know, anytime, anywhere, um, I can check my bank balance as often as I like. And that changed the scale demands on the software that these banks were running behind the scenes to actually make that transaction happen. And there was a natural governor to how much load you could put on those, um, those architectures because, again, you... you you had an X number of people in a call center. You could regulate how many ATMs were able to make um, inquiries. You could make that very, and just the number of people who were actually going to try to do that at any point in time um, was low. Things had to be open for business. Um, now I can, if I just really want to, I can wake up at three o'clock in the morning and uh, check my bank balance on my phone, and, and lo and behold, it works. They don't have to be open for that to happen. And so you take that, multiply at times all of these business interactions that used to require um, a decent amount of middle infrastructure in terms of people um, who were doing this work for us. And now not only do you not have to interact with a human being, but you're able to do that again anytime, anywhere that you have connectivity, then um, that times all of those businesses um, the scale demands have rapidly um, increased beyond anything that most IT organizations were ever equipped to deal with. So you know, I get it. For, I, I get it from the from from a user point of view. Um, sure. But when you and 
you know, I'm, I deal a lot with football, for financial services, banks and insurance companies. Um, and I'm finding that they're, 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 they understand that they, they need to, to go in a certain direction in a cloud native way. But the big, big challenges they face are they have um, these mainframe systems or these, these legacy systems that were designed in the 1970s. Um, they, you know, they still need to keep the, the lights on. So how do you, what messaging or, or how do you have a conversation with, with the, the, the guys who have these systems, these monolithic systems, um, and, and, and how do you actually convince them or do they need convincing to, to, to move to this new way of thinking? I've been trying to do agile transformation type work from very early on in my career just because I saw the value in um, what we could do if we stopped wasting time on a lot of the processes that, that, we, that we had and, um, and move to a more agile way of working. And it was very difficult to convince anybody of the value, um, especially when, for instance, I'm, I'm working in a retail company um, who's managed to triple its stock price in um, the last few years without making any significant change to its IT investment or, or, or way of doing business. And, you know, the, the conversation, well, you could be doing so much better even than that if you make these changes um, is a very difficult conversation to have. Um, you, know, you, you quite often get the answer, well, we're doing quite well as we are, thanks. Um, but when you start to get into the conversation of you may not survive the next decade if you don't fundamentally change the way you're doing things. Um, and, and, a, and a few years ago, that conversation was, well, all of these disruptors from Silicon Valley are coming to get you. Um, but now the conversation has shifted to, and so have a lot of your peers. Um, if, if you haven't decided to make these changes yet, many of your peers are. You know, 20% of the Fortune 100 now have uh, decided, yeah, we're going to, uh, to go uh, to make this change. And that's just the ones that I, one, you know, one person, one data point, um, um, am working with. But um, it's becoming clear that, okay, if you don't do this, your peers will. will. And um, if they get the kind of results that others have gotten, it's likely that they're going to be able to overcome you by several orders of magnitude in terms of how well they can do business. And it's going to become clear that, well, if I could do business with this company or you, and I have these great customer interactions built around software to my left, but when I look at you to my right, it feels like I'm still doing business um, you know, people throw around the phrase in the Stone Age, um, it still feels like that, then it, it may be that I'm going to choose the company on the left. And if enough times that happens, all of a sudden, companies can disappear. I mean, it happened quite slowly if you look at the history of, say, Blockbuster and Netflix. Um, but um, it felt like to an, an, an unintentional observer that overnight we went from there were all these brick-and-mortar stores that you drove to to rent DVDs to people just don't do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that is, the Netflix story is, 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 a, is, is a brilliant story. When I, take, when I speak to some companies, so some companies are going down the, the containerization route, so they're looking at their architectures, they're looking at, you know, the domain-driven design and development, 
um, you know, identifying um, a business context and then wrapping that in a, in a, in a, a Docker-like container and then using something like Kubernetes. Can you kind of go into details as to why, why maybe someone or an organization should look at, at, at maybe a, a platform offering? I think that at this point, it's become pretty clear that for the next, I would say, decade or so, that's going to be my guess. That, um, and, and the reason I say decade is that just thinking about the ability of organizations to dramatically change their IT infrastructure um, and, and re-architect systems is not something that they can do at the speed that these new things um, come out. Um, so, you know, we're in a situation now where there's still a whole lot of that vertical scale application server centric architecture out there. And um, people are moving to say platforms like um, Cloud Foundry, um, maybe uh, OpenShift for Red Hat from Red Hat shows up in conversations, things that try to give a little bit more structure around um, the interaction with the underlying container containerization system, but don't necessarily give you, here's, here's a container orchestrator, here's a um, container image builder, go, right? Um, you still need to build things on top of that to get from, okay, I can now run processes and containers and schedule them across a pool of computing resources to I can think about continuous delivering, continuously delivering application services and ensuring that all of the things that they need to integrate with are just there and, um, and just work. Um, so what Cloud Foundry does is to take that base level of infrastructure and add on top of that um, this next level of abstraction that allows me to even back away from thinking about scheduling software to run on compute nodes inside container images and trusting that that kind of stuff is going to happen and happen appropriately, but really focusing back on the value of... Um, we have this this haiku that we throw around. You know, here is my code. Run it in the cloud for me. I do not care how. Um, and we really want to give uh, development teams and and application operations teams, DevOps teams, whatever you want to call it, we want to give them that capability to say, okay, coming back to your original um, formulation of the question, we want to take a business context. And we want to build some software around that um, and deliver that as a, as a technical capability of the organization. So, Matt, there's, there's, there's something really, really interesting in your book when you spoke about the KPIs, let's say, for the IT operations and then the KPIs for developers. So, so, so developers are basically hired to, to write code, to add business, to, 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 you know, to create new functionality, to come up with ideas. Um, but IT operations, you know, they're responsible for, for, for making sure that these production systems, you know, keep running. Um, and that we've set up all of these, these you know, these, pro these manual or these, these processes to actually to, to, to really check that when something goes into production, you know, that, that it's, it, it's not going to break anything. Um, so in, in your experience, 
how do you actually go through that organizational change? Because you know th that is it is a, a massive organizational change. You know, you know taking these these siloed or organizations um, and then actually getting them to, to move in this you know this aggressive DevOps um, way. Yeah. So I mean, once we've once we've had the conversation and 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 we've kind of come to an agreement that that this is something that needs to happen you now get to undertake the exercise of 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 moving a a very large object that's moving in a very specific direction and and turning that and um you know if if you look at you know how we uh have a large say ocean liner and and you compare the 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 size of the rudder that can turn that ship um, it's, it's actually quite small um, by comparison. And so to think about this, you know, we could attempt to um, brute force move the entire organization um, at, at, in, in lockstep. And we're going to have very little success doing that um, because it's just not, it's just not, possible to move that many people and that many things that are moving at a specific velocity um, at the same time. Um, I've seen it I've seen it attempted and um, it usually leads to a lot of uh, frustration, chaos and 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 problems. but if we start small, so if we find a you know segment of the organization, where we can show some obvious value by moving to a more agile way of working and continuous delivery and DevOps principles and, and, and cloud-native architecture, making all of these things actually possible um, to do. Um, then we can show success um, in, in, a very, in, in a very small and specific place. And then we can start to use that as a seed to bring in additional teams. And so every success that I've seen has kind of started out that way. You, you've, you've spoken uh, and you've mentioned that one of the big fears is this um, lock-in or vendor lock-in. So in, in, in your experience, um, I mean, do you see organizations looking at maybe one or two cloud, different cloud providers or can you can you go, go into a little bit of detail as to is it an educational problem um, or, or, or are they these fears are they based on, on real facts? Um, Lock-in is a really interesting um, really interesting topic because you're always locked into something. There, there's no such thing as I'm going to completely avoid lock-in, even if you went and built every aspect of your architecture from the ground up. Uh, let's say you even went and built, built your own hardware. Everything you have, you own and you create it. You are now very much locked into this thing that you've created because the stuff that you build isn't going to work with anything else, right? Um, Feels like marriage mess, no? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um, so, yeah. And um, so, so you're locked into something, and it, it really just becomes... A matter of looking at you know what you're going to be locked into as not 
I'm locked versus I'm not locked, but you know, what is the cost of change in this particular segment of my architecture? And if my constraints move, whether slowly or quickly, you know, people will use the example of, okay, I've built all this stuff on top of one cloud provider, and then they come to me and say, okay, now your price is going to include increase, you know, 3x, you know, how do I, um, how, how do I, how do I get out? And um, there, there are various ways to look at that. And, and this is not a new problem. So yeah, um, you're always locked into something. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you have to be very, you know, aware of, of that and not think of it as sort of a binary equation locked in or not locked in. It's okay. Um, what is the cost of evolving this architecture from where I am um, to wherever I might want to go next year, three years, five years, 10 years down the road? And, and being careful to design systems that allow me to um, have a manageable um, cost of change since change is going to be the one thing that remains constant um, in your business. Really interesting, you know. So, is, so in, in the next five years, next five to ten years, um, you're predicting pretty much, um, you know, most of the work we do will be will be changing our applications to this more cloud native. Are there some applications, you know, running on on an enterprise that won't become cloud native in the next five to ten years? Oh, sure. Um, so, if you look at the complete software portfolio, um, there are kind of, you know, a, a few categories of things. There, there are things that, you know, we could get real obvious value out of moving this to a cloud-native architecture and a cloud-native way of, you know, delivering software now. So let's work on those things. Um, then there are some things where that, you know, this that we're going to get maybe a little bit of value, maybe a little cost savings, but there's not going to be a real competitive advantage associated with moving this software. Um, so maybe we, we move this eventually, um, or maybe when that cost equation, uh, profit equation changes, then, then we move it. Um, and then there are some systems like the, you know, these, these legacy, um, you know, say COBOL systems that nobody understands how it works anymore, but it seems to work and hasn't been touched in a while um, the, the cost or risk of change um, is, is quite high. And so we should just leave those things as they are. And, and so all of the architectures that I've been working on over the last um, two years have all of these aspects to their portfolio. And so they're very hybrid um, in nature. We've got cloud-native systems that are talking to and interacting with systems that are very obviously not cloud native. And, and there are patterns that we can use um, to ensure that, say, the legacy nastiness of those systems doesn't pollute this new cloud native software that we're building. Um, and the opposite direction, you know, making sure that these cloud native systems that we're building don't overcome the ability of these legacy systems to scale and handle the load that's being placed on them. And everybody that I'm working with um, is in this kind of um, moving equilibrium between some amount of cloud-native software and some amount of software that's very obviously not. 
and um, and and that's going to continue to evolve over time because that cost and risk equation is going to continue to evolve um, over time. Listen, it's been um, uh, you know you're it's, it's been fantastic to, to, to speak to you. Um, as I said, that book you wrote was was you know it's 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 like a bible I use w- w- when I'm speaking to my clients. So have you have you got a, a plan for a second book, Matt? Is it? Are you going to write 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 a, a romantic novel maybe for your second book? So something that I announced last week that um, still very early days, but I hope to see this uh, get moving is um, a, a community that I'm building um, around what I'm calling the Open Software Architecture Pattern Language. Um, so um, we have a uh, we have a, do- a domain um, OSAPL, so OSAPL. Um, dot org. It doesn't mean anything, but it's at least pronounceable. And um, we have a, um, a Slack team that I started and uh, a GitHub organization. And I've, I've uh, managed to get a few people to join this community based on um, the keynote alone. But I'm going to be talking about this more and more o- over the course of the next year. And what I really want to do is kind of create this pattern language in the open and really start to document these modern cloud-native architecture patterns in the open um, with a lot of practitioners, and then build that foundation. And then if, if, if I use that um, to turn it into um, a, you know, a published book with a publisher, so somebody doesn't want to go sift through all of our, our GitHub repositories, but just wants kind of a, a curated, polished volu- volume of that, um, then we may do that. There's a lot of precedent out there now for these so-called open source books that people end up buying from O'Reilly and Amazon anyway. Um, so I, I think that the work that gets created will actually be much better than what I could go do if I locked myself in my room and wrote that next book um, by myself. So that's that's kind of the goal, which means that I don't have an announcement imminent around when that's going to be published, um, but um, it's certainly something that I'm really interested in. That is really, really interesting. Um, I've got to check that out. I, I, I wouldn't mind um, being in, being involved. I, I think that's a really, really good idea because I, I think where where a lot of um, organisations struggle is is basically in identifying the patterns. So so that whole educational part um, and and act, and learning from you know as you as you very well described it, you know patterns you know have 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 evolved and and they come from from you know experts and other people tr- through experience so it's a, it's, a, it's a basically a way of, of writing down experiences yeah it is um okay um pretty much th- th- there are the questions i have matt uh, th- once again th- thank you thank you very much um it's been it's been really really informative um you're you know i mean you're a leading light in this and um and it's great to actually learn and to talk to, to somebody who, who really is who's, who's, who's showing the way for, 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 for people like myself. So thank you very much. So we've come to the end of our first podcast. How did you think it went, Lisa? I'll tell you, I, I was just amazed at, at what we've covered, uh, the opportunity to, to share uh, some of our knowledge, some of our experiences, and some of our research, obviously, um, as well as some of Matt Stein's thoughts uh, with our, our, our uh, constituents out there to, to help them learn a little bit about cloud native uh, going forward. Yeah, he, was, he, he really is. He's, he's an inspirational speaker, Matt. Is, um, no, it, was, it was a great interview. I mean, he, 
he gave us really such insight into into what's happening at Cloud Native. Um, so if if the listeners if, if they want to ask us anything if there's if there's areas that they'd like us to, to go into into more depth then then you can tweet me uh, my name is Dan O'Riordan it's at D A N O R I O R D A N Lisa any plans for this evening? You know, Dan, I was going to ask you the same. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be very simple. I think I might have to go do a little spin class uh, to keep my exercise up and, and keep my body going well for us so that I can continue to, to help develop these uh, cloud-native applications uh, at the speed that we need to do so. Yeah, you're making me feel guilty now, Lisa. I'm just going to crack open a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave you this do the spinning, yeah? Um, okay, so thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I'm your host, Dan O'Riordan. Um, it has been a great pleasure to do this first po- podcast with the lovely Lisa Hirsch. Uh, we hope uh, to have you back here with us next time for a discussion around the CIO and the emerging, emerging role um, that the CIO has as the new business leader. Um, and also um, a fantastic interview with Mr. Paul Miller from Forrester. He is a very, very, very insightful guy and he gives us some great insight as to, to what's happening um, with um, you know the new the new role as we see it of the CIO. So thank you for listening. <laughs>